0: Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my
1: board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What a beautiful throw by the Baker. Big job. Hasta la vista, baby. touchdown. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. There's... A myriad of topics to discuss for your Cleveland Browns on a busy day. Uh, what's great? We'll start with that. It is uh, a couple of, of very noteworthy items. Joel Batonio, who I really hope someday retires a Cleveland Brown, similar to Joe Thomas. Fantastic to see he got a three-year extension to his contract, which puts him in Cleveland through 2025, which is which is fantastic. It's going to pay him. A little more than Joe Tooney, which is going to be in the 16 million per year range. And and you can kind of deduce whatever you want from the, the, the two straight days of signing offensive guards and what it means and you know the looming decisions for the center, JC Treader, the right tackle, Jack Conklin, or other pieces around it. I'm not going to go into that yet. We'll look at the big picture stuff in the offseason, but it's just great to see them taking care of guys who are integral parts of the franchise and stabilizing an offensive line in front of their quarterback, which to me, the only thing we'll talk about is that it obviously points to me toward protecting a quarterback for the foreseeable future, and that that tends to point us toward Baker Mayfield being around long-term too, which you can have your opinion on whether that's a good move or bad move for now, uh, but that's what it tells me, okay? Uh, so, congrats to Joel. That's fantastic for the Browns franchise. You'll love to see that. We'll, uh, like we said, maybe dive more into the intricate details come the bye week. Jeremiah Wusukoromo is designated to come back from the uh, IR. That does not mean he's going to play this weekend. As Stefanski said, he'll have some work today. We'll see how he does to make a determination of whether he's actually available. Um, but it looks like he's at least trending toward playing by the Baltimore game, which, you know, the first Baltimore game, which is what we obviously all wanted. Uh, on the on the bad side of things, Baker Mayfield's dealing with a sore foot. Nothing major, but a sore foot. You don't like to read that. Obviously struggling uh, to, to deal with the shoulder, so you don't like to hear him dealing with anything else. Uh, other news that was uh, unfortunate is that Nick Harris goes on the COVID-19 list, adding to Demetric Felton and Nick Chubb. We don't have any clear answer or idea about whether Nick or Demetric will be able to play this weekend. You got to get the two straight days of uh, negative tests. We'll see whether that ends up coming to fruition. At this point, Dearness Johnson is the only active running back on the roster. So his workload is going to be heavy. They did mention the fact that Jarvis Landry could sneak into the backfield a little bit. But COVID has found its way to Cleveland. Unfortunately, you know, especially when you look at the con- the, 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 the context of the Patriots' defense and what they struggle with. You really wanted to have Nick Chubb for this game. We're going to talk to our guest here in just a minute, who's going to go into into some detail on that. But yeah, I mean, you you you've got to hope at this point that by the end of the week, Nick can be in the right place to maybe have those two negatives and be able to play, because it would it would swing you know it would swing quite a bit. Other injury concerns worth talking about as we look at the uh, full injured list here. Uh, Greedy Williams dealing with the right shoulder, limited capacity of practice. Clowney. Dealing with the ankle knee, Harrison Bryant thigh, and J.C. Treader knee were limited. Uh, Otherwise, Jarvis with his knee. And it's, again, he's really laboring to come back from the knee he's dealing with. Miles Garrett with the foot, Tack McKinley with the groin, and Malik Jackson with the knee sat out practice Wednesday. Again, as usual, we'll keep you updated through the week. Probably don't need to be concerned about anybody as we sit here right now. We'll get toward the end of the week. Friday is usually the day we start to have serious dialogue dialogue over whether certain guys will be there or not. We'll keep a close eye on JOK okay, because it would be fantastic to get him back for this one because of, obviously, the dynamic element he can bring to the second level of the defense. Getting great job uh, from from Anthony Walker and Malcolm Smith, but you would just love to have one of your best playmakers back on defense as quick as you can. So those are the pieces of news that have come out today from Berea. We're going to get over to our guest and preview the New England Patriots. are behind enemy lines is with... Andrew Callahan, he's the Patriots beat writer for the Boston Herald. He's at underscore Andrew Callahan. This is a great interview, very detailed. Let's get over to it right now.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Okay. Excited to bring in Andrew Callahan to talk about the Patriots. Uh, I think there's no better person out there from who I follow to get a gauge on where the Patriots are heading into this game. Andrew, how are you?
2: Doing well. Thanks, Jake for having me.
1: Of course. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the recent run for New England here. It's, it seems like there was a little bit of a rough start and, you know, some some quality opponents hit at the beginning of the season, and then of late, things have picked up in the right direction, right? After the after the Cowboys game rattled off three in a row here and beat two teams that I think were kind of, at least the Chargers are, the, the Panthers are kind of trying to hang on as best they can here. But I think a lot of people entered the season saying it was Buffalo, 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 but here we are, you know, here we are in the... Middle of the season. You're five and, I think, five and four, right, heading into this week and a half game back from Buffalo. So a lot of hope in New England with where it's going right now. Kind of catch us up uh, with just a little bit of the recent swing of good football here.
2: Yeah, definitely. So they're on a three game win streak, and there's nothing better to cure your woes than playing the Jets, right? So they did that right after the Cowboys lost. And, you know, that week it was odd because they kept telling the reporters. You know, we're not a two and four team. We're better than this. We're not a two and four team. And there was some merit to that argument, right? Because they lose to the Bucks by two points, missing a late field goal in that Sunday night game against Brady. And then when they lose to the Cowboys, sure, they get shredded for about 600 yards. But you only lost in overtime. So they were close. And then it wasn't close 54 to 13 against the Jets, dominating them in all three phases. They go on the road to a Chargers game where, you know, the Chargers are a, a solid team this year, finally competent with the new coaching staff, always very talented, and they were five point favorites. But, just a bad matchup against the Patriots because they had the worst run defense in the league. So the Patriots exploited that enough. They get a pick six late. And so they're starting to play the defense that they need to when they just don't have the man corners anymore without Stephon Gilmore available. And they continue to play a ton of zone in Carolina where they make Sam Donald see a ton of ghosts again. So I think those two wins beating teams that they were kind of clustered with the Chargers and in Carolina were not real serious contenders, but certainly you know, talented enough to be around 500 a little bit better. Beating both those teams says this team's ceiling is higher than that. The thing is now, though, you need to beat teams that are just above 500 like the Browns who are also 5 5-4, and four, which would be a really close game.
1: Yeah, I think both teams here are going to be hunting for a quality win. I think whoever gets it is definitely going to have a, have a notch in their belt here, especially Cleveland who's coming off a tough stretch. And then, you know, they want to springboard into – Detroit and then they get Baltimore back to back. They they're desperate. Cleveland's desperate. So, let's talk roster here. It's been it's been up and down on both sides. Cleveland now dealing with COVID issues this week and I'm just kind of curious with with the uptick with the you know, the three-game winning streak. Who's playing better offensively and then we'll kind of dive into Mac Jones as we start looking at the roster specifically on a granular level. Is he playing, you know, it looks like the grade's pretty solid in an 83 passing grade this year. So I'm just kind of curious what his start to his NFL endeavor has looked like.
2: Yeah, it's funny because Mac has played probably his back-to-back two worst games of the season here. I mean, you can go back to week three when they play the Saints and no one looks good you know, even his predecessor, Tom Brady, against the Saints, but, you know, he just had a, a real dry spell of inaccuracy in Los Angeles, and then against you know, Carolina has a strip sack, has an interception that was gone to Gilmore, and it was a mismatch from a pass defense, their passing offense standpoint, but they've been able to pick them up, as I mentioned, with the running game, and that's really a credit to the offensive line, which has just gotten healthier, and so when you have some continuity there and some stability, you know, where you were, you were missing Trent Brown right out of the gate, and they're still without him, but you have Mike Arwenu playing out of position, and you know, right tackle, and, you know, he's been better there with Trent Dow. You have Ted Karras at left guard, and Isaiah Wynn has finally been able to get over, you know, COVID, and he's been playing in left tackle. It's just better to have that group together. So they've had that now for back-to-back games. That's helped a running game come along, and you know, the receivers are going to be up and down, and they're still lacking from, you know, john o. Smith. But Hunter Henry's been very steady with five touchdowns his last six games. So they're getting just enough to beat these teams, but I think they're going to need Mac Jones to kind of rebound here against Cleveland if he can To kind of take that next step, uh, like I mentioned before.
1: I know that the running back by committee thing has been all over the board, and Bill has never been predictable with who he gives the football with. I I think if you catch Browns fans up here, there's between Stevenson, reminder Stevenson, and Damian Harris; those are the two lead guys. But there's some injury stuff going on there, concussion stuff too.
2: Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned. You know, typically that is how they operate, running back by committee. But even with Damian Harris fumbling twice in the first five games. He has, you know, more than a hundred or ninety-eight or more carries than anyone else in the roster, and then it's Stevenson behind him, a kid who's been a healthy scratch three times this year, and then Brandon Bolden and TJ uh, JJ Taylor, who are their only current healthy backs because Harris and Stevenson are dealing with concussions. So you've got four running backs, none on the practice squad, and I think they're just banking at this point that they'll get, you know, one of those guys back for Sunday.
1: Wide receiver group. I know we're looking at Jacoby Myers, uh, Nelson Aguilar. I, I, is there anybody else? I think Kendrick Bourne gets some snaps in there too. It looks like the pursuit for Odell might be real as well, so enlighten us if you can about how the wide receivers are playing, who we should expect to see a lot of targets go to, and if there is real, really like serious interest in Odell that could could shake out maybe before we even post this podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty disappointing. I'll start with the current receiving group because if you look at the last game against Carolina, Kendrick Bourne is the only wide out with multiple catches, and he's right now their third option. And Part of that, again, is you're gonna face Stefan Gilmore in third down and Dante Jackson's been playing well in Carolina. But Nelson Aguilar, for getting a two year twenty two million dollar contract, has not shown up at all. He has, you know, fewer than half the catches of Jacoby Myers, who's really their number one. But you know, his ceiling in any other offense is maybe like a two B, definitely number three receiver. Crafty will find the open spots against zones. He knows how to play his leverage versus man, but you know, there are no special traits about him athletically. Um, and that's their number one guy. So they could definitely use an diffusion of talent. Nothing new so far in Odell Beckham. I think really what happened is, you know, the Patriots naturally made some contact, showed some interest, but probably were about to offer a veteran minimum deal because that's all they really had the cap space for and expected to be priced out. But the market for Odell, at least from my outsider perspective, seems pretty dry. And so I think they've kind of hung around there without anyone, Green Bay or Kansas City. and Certainly, you know, Orleans has their own cap problems wowing them. So they might still be a player here, but I think Odell's really just going to have to declare his priority uh, playing, you know, outside of Cleveland, obviously, but whether with an elite quarterback or you know a team that might give him an extra million or two,
1: it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see where he lands. I I just don't know what he wants. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's a matter of yeah. is he looking for the right quarterback? Does he want the most money? Like I don't know. It's a mystery to even us who are. Who are really close and covering him all the time? It's it's uh, it's amazing what you don't know about these guys' desires. Uh, talk talk about the O line. Well, we should we should touched on two, you know, tight end. Obviously, a place that was heavily invested with Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. How are those guys playing? Or are, are they active uh, in terms of heavy target share? Or are they are they doing a lot of twelve personnel, thirteen personnel? What's that look like?
2: Yeah, well, they're they're certainly not. They haven't taken a single snap of thirteen personnel. So it's very different than the operation you got out there in Cleveland. Uh, their third tight end, Devin Asiasi, was the third-round pick in 2020. He's been a healthy scratch every single week, and you got a veteran of the practice squad, Matt Lacoste, who has been elevated once. So it's really been these two guys, even though Johnny Smith has been banged up more recently with a shoulder injury, and before that I think it was an ankle. So he's not been 100%, but even if you know he was fully really healthy, it's like Aguilar been a big disappointment. And most of that is just tied to the contract because he's the third-highest-paid tight end in the league, tied with Hunter Henry for that spot and just hasn't been produced. He has under 200 receiving yards, one tight end, you know, one receiving catch, and then they've used him in the backfield four times, giving him carries. But, you know, ultimately this was a guy who you were supposed to be able to scheme some touches to, and he would take it from there as a guy breaking tackles in almost 20% of his touches last season. He's broken two tackles through nine games this year. So it's just not the player that they paid for or expected. Again, part of that is on health, but Hunter Henry's been, you know himself kind of steady eddie he's there as a weapon in the red zone but they just need more from that tight end position and really they only played 12 or excuse me four snaps of 12 personnel last week and they ranked in the bottom half of the league in terms of total snaps from that grouping which was shocking heading into this season when we're all saying you know this isn't gronk hernandez 2.0 but maybe 1.5
1: i think i think there was definitely high expectations there i mean uh, especially among teams that were going to be high in 12 personnel. So I do expect them to get their share of targets against Cleveland, who's not always as effective against the tight end as most teams in the NFL. Have done better this year, but not not uh, traditionally a very good tight end covering team. The offensive line is the bread and butter. I would imagine that's still the the fact for New England. I'm curious how those guys can. If you can, just give who starts kind of left to right side, how they're playing this year and Uh, If they're playing among the best in the NFL, as we know, you know, Cleveland gets talked about a lot up there. So I was curious if New England is still getting that buzz, too.
2: Yeah. So to clean up my comments from earlier, like you said, from left to right, uh, Isaiah Wynn had COVID, missed two games um, and then came back and played after not practicing for two weeks. And so he's gotten back to his old form and there's still, you know, he gives up the sack where you had a chip from Hunter Henry who gets Brian Burns a little bit further wide and then he gets a free shot at Mac Jones. So it's not perfect, but, you know, he's been playing. You know, above average level, uh, at left tackle, when healthy. At left guard, so far with Trent Brown now, you know, Mike Unwenu, who is this big 350-pound lineman, arguably their best player last year despite being a six-round pick at a Michigan, you know, has moved to right tackle. So he's been replaced by Ted Karras, started last year in Miami. He's played very solid for them. He's a little bit better as a run blocker than a pass protector. David Andrews, you know, has described Hunter Henry before, kind of a steady Eddie. Even Keeled, as always, he had three games in a row without a pressure uh, that extended to four last weekend. And right guard is another better run blocker than pass protector and Shaq Mason, who's been, you know, annually one of the best run blockers in the league. And so, him with Unwenu, who's been at right tackle with Trent Brown out, form a really solid right side of the line. But they've actually been going left, oddly enough, in some kind of critical situations and winning on that side. So, again, I think it's a good group. That's where you see the running game start to rev up. It's because of them. Um, more so than the running backs, as much as Damian Harris has been breaking tackles fairly often. So I think it's just that continuity. Once Mason got back, he missed a couple of games, as I mentioned now, three times. Isaiah Wynn had COVID, he's returned. And, uh, you know, they might get Trent Brown back there at right tackle, which would put on Lenu at left guard. And I think they haven't been, you know, a top 10 offensive line at any point this year. But as of late, they've been trending better than above average. And that's what they need to do if they want to keep winning moving forward.
1: Let's switch to defense. I know this is always a source of pride for Bill, and they the, the, the names change. Uh, some names come, some names have returned, Kyle Vannoy and and, and, and Jamie Collins and some of those, but um, just just like how, how are they playing collectively? We'll get into the players a little bit, but have they been up to expectation? Are they overachieving uh, or are on par with where you thought they'd be? Because it seems like this unit is still carrying them in a, in a bigger sense.
2: Yeah, I think, honestly, they've been, you know, it kind of, choose your metric, right? Like, if you're going by DVOA, they're fifth right now. I think that's higher than where they actually are. You know, if you kept stuff on Gilmore, I think they'd have the upside of a, a top-five defense. But right now, just the talent level doesn't match up with the other groups around the league when you talk about those elite defenses. Um, and, and honestly, you know, even one in Cleveland. But what they've been able to do, like you mentioned, they are playing together. And I think that's elevating them. And you've seen it the last two weeks, there's been this big shift from when they played you know the second highest rate of man coverage through week 7 and since they pivoted to playing more zone on better than 70% of their snaps which is just about a top 10 figure over that span and i think it's just a reflection of they don't have the horses to play man to man not only gilmore's not here anymore you know but john jones is out for the season they're nickel back and they've had a good replacement for him in miles bryant who was an undrafted kid out of Washington last year, played some slot corner safety and safety in a system that actually adopted some principles from New England and installed them, you know, out in Seattle. Um, but beyond that, it's just J.C. Jackson and Matt Judon are going to be your stars. J.C. Jackson had two picks last year. He's around the top of the league, if not leading the league in interceptions. And Matt Judon, you know, is good for about four or five pressures a game. So those two guys that say, have been kind of the faces of this defense, it's an average run defense, but the pass defense, you know, more man early, more zone late. Uh, has has done a good job, and, and J.C. Jackson is usually the guy with the ball in their hands when they get an interception.
1: Yeah, Judon's at about 44 pressures. I think the second highest pressures come from uh, pressure number comes from Christian Barmore. Seems like Barmore's coming on the rookie out of Bama. Uh, I mean, talk talk pass rush. I know you mentioned Judon, how effective he's been for you, but other names you expect to be an important part of getting after Baker Mayfield.
2: Yeah, Barmore is definitely number two with a bullet on that list right after Judah. And, you know, you had some familiar faces in there, like you mentioned, Kyle Van Noyes. They don't dip into their quarter package anymore, or dollar when they're playing seven DBs. They really stick with dime, and you've got those four guys up front. They kicked Hightower out for a few weeks because he's really just become this early down thumper, and that worked for them. Um, But Van is the only linebacker in that dime package, you've got you know, Judon, Barmore, Josh Uche, kid out of Michigan coming off the edge. Um, and then you kind of pick your defensive tackle. So Barmore's the big one. He was the most talented lineman in camp. Now I think he started to refine his game, a kid who didn't even play high school football until he was in high school. Then it goes to Bama, um, early second-round pick. So that pass rush, I think, is ascending. You know, they prefer uh, – they'll, they'll go week to week with what they want to do. But I think ultimately, like any other team, you'd rather be effective with four. They run a ton of different games. And they've started to show some more variety with that. You know, especially as I mentioned, they've leaned in some more zone coverage in the back end.
1: Cleveland brings in a ton of 13 personnel. They'll get real funky, creative with it. They'll be empty one set. They'll be motioning out of two inline tight ends to uh, put Harrison Bryan in at fullback. The next rep, and then all of a sudden again, they'll be in a a gun, uh, gun two tight end with a sniffer. They, they got they're all over the board, man. They play a lot of tight ends. Then they bring in some 11 personnel. When they do go 13, I know linebacker's not a. It's not a highly uh, used position in modern NFL, but if they keep a couple on the field, is it is it Hightower and, and Vinoy? Who's your off-ball backers when they do get forced to use those guys?
2: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because last week in Carolina, they played about 30% base defense, so there's 3-4 personnel grouping. And in the middle, you had Bentley at Hightower off the ball and then Van Noy and Judon on the edge. And they started rotating a little bit more because all these guys are, you know, 30 or on the other side of 30. So Jamie has played a little bit more outside lately, but he's primarily off the ball. Um, Jelani Tavai, a uh, third-year guy excuse me, they picked up from Detroit after he busted out under Matt Patricia, kind of gets a couple of snaps in there. But it's really high tower and Bentley, and I think you're going to see a ton of that base personnel grouping, which, you know, up until the Carolina game, had maybe been used on 10% of their snaps, if that. Uh, and I think, you know, to combat that 13 personnel, I think that might be a really interesting battleground for Sunday because you want to catch Bentley and Hightower kind of in space. But, you know, they've, they've been getting better at that, playing some more of this kind of landmark spot-drop zone. They don't have to chase guys around in man coverage.
1: When they do get Cleveland in predictable pass situations, which is what Cleveland Cleveland fights like heck to, to get out of them. But if you're missing Nick, which is the, the path we seem to be on, uh Dearness Johnson's a nice running back but he can be, you know, he's not the same rushing yards over expectation as Nick. So I do think you're going to find mm-hmm. Cleveland in their share of 10 or more third and seven and and beyond. You said they like to go more dime than than dollar uh, these days. So if they do bring on heavy defensive backs, you talked about JC Jackson, we know Devin McCourty's in one of those safety roles. Who are they? Do they shuffle in and out or do they have a consistent group that they bring in in that secondary?
2: Yeah, so they'll go three safety, three corner, and three safety nickel have been their most common personnel grouping um, of the season, so it's McCourty, Adrian Phillips, who plays in the box a lot, uh, and Kyle Duggar, but they'll bounce both of those guys, even occasionally to some single high looks, speaking of Phillips and Duggar, you know, they're more kind of your four or five speed and kind of banging in the box like you had Patrick Chung, but you know, Miles Bryant, when they go to dime, it'll be those three safeties. He's the nickelback, along with J.C. Jackson and Jalen Mills. And Jalen Mills is going to be the weak point, you know, in that secondary, I think. And Bryant's only five nine. so if you get a bigger slot, um, you know, maybe like DPJ in there, that might be a mismatch they look for, you know, or obviously Jarvis is in there too. But, you know, it'll really be those six defensive backs. And I think, again, just that, uh, that playing on a string, that connectedness has been able to make up for what sometimes is a talent gap you know which which when exploited you know we saw what Dallas did them in, in week 6 and they can rack up some yardage but lately it's been much better than that.
1: So it's pretty clear to me both teams are are pretty at least coming into this week Cleveland's going to be defense heavy New England relies on the defense. What what formula do they need to do here uh, cuz I think Cleveland's given up 14 15 16 points over the last 3 weeks. So they're although they're not maybe at the top of every defensive uh, metric stuff because of some of the early year struggles they had with kyler murray and justin herbert they're pretty good they're getting their act together here what formula does new england need to put on the field to go out and beat cleveland in your opinion if we look back and new england wins like what sort of things have to happen for them to get it done
2: yeah i think you know obviously you got to start with protection they need a good plan for miles garrett and when you look at their history of handling elite edge rushers they really throw the kitchen sink at them so you'll get some doubles you'll get some chips some play actions, some moving pocket throws, some screens right at them. And I think you'll see some of that. And then secondarily, you know, there's just no sense for them, even with Damian Harris out, you know, you want to bash your head against a brick wall. So I would just skip right up and over their third-ranked run defense for Cleveland. I think you'll see a lot of empty for Mac Jones, who's got one of the lowest snap-to-throw times in the league. And you probably work that middle of the field. And, you know, they do a really good job of putting some of their running backs and even fullbacks you know, out wide and then trying to work the middle with the receivers when they know they're going to get the defense and zone covered. So I think you'll see a lot of that. Um, and maybe finally a breakout game from John and Smith. And they really need that badly. But I just don't think there are a lot of holes for them offensively. So they're going to have to win this by kind of playing, you know, isolation matchup football. And it'll be up to Josh McDaniels, obviously, to create as many favorable mismatches when there really aren't a whole lot of opportunities.
1: Yeah, this one has the vibe of a uh, like a seventeen fourteen type of finish. It's it could get real dicey for both offense, uh, both offenses, and and um, it could be like we said, one of those throwback AFC tight games. Should be a ton of fun. Both teams desperately needing to win to keep pace and um, you know keep their head above water in this muddied AFC playoff picture. Andrew, I know the listeners of this podcast appreciate all of your insight as you gave them more than enough to know what's coming from New England this weekend. We thank you for taking time for us. <laughs>
2: Hey, thanks, man. Anytime, Jake.
1: Thanks for joining us today, guys, and checking out the Behind Enemy Lines episode. If you missed the breakdown of the offense and defense, those have been your previous two podcasts. We had on two fantastic guests for you. We had Kevin Cole on on Tuesday uh, to talk about a little bit of the offense and how that's all shaking out. And then we had Pete Smith on Monday when we talked about, you know, some of that big-picture defense stuff, how it's shaking out, responsibilities, all of that. I think it's good to get as much perspective as we can on the defense. If you want to read more about... Uh, what happened yesterday in Berea, the OBR website has all of that for you. It has details on Joel Betonio's contract extension, all there for you to read. In the coming days, we will have the Twitch roundtable, which will be out uh, tomorrow night. You can watch that live. And then also, uh, we are just going to give you another reminder that we are trying to do 1,000 subscribers on Twitch by Thanksgiving. If we get to 1,000, we're going to do some awesome ticket giveaways. So make sure you go there, link your Amazon Prime subscription to your Twitch account, get that free Uh, sub to the twitch and and it'll be gravy for everybody and you'll have a chance to win some tickets so thanks for joining today appreciate your support as usual those downloads subscriptions all of it mean the world to me Uh, until we talk next time guys we'll be back with our fridays with john colosimo episode tomorrow have a great thursday and go browns